What's up, guys? I'm so excited to announce that we have partnered with Coaching for Literacy, and you can read more about them at coachingforliteracy.org or follow them on social media at Coaching for Literacy. Your subscription to Bluff City NIL is 100% tax deductible because of our partnership together. Thank you for supporting Memphis Tiger student athletes and helping promote the monumental cause of childhood literacy. Carmigo makes it easy to sell your car while still getting the best price. Instead of taking your car from dealership to dealership to compare offers, Carmigo uses their virtual vehicle scanning technology to bring the dealerships to you. Simply use your phone to take a few pictures of your car, answer a few questions, and they'll share your car's listing with a whole network of buyers. And you can do it all from your phone. Buyers typically receive multiple offers on their cars in as little as a day. Plus, Carmigo handles all the paperwork. They'll even pick it up. Look, have mercy on me. What's up, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of On the Bluff, presented by Carmigo, the easiest way to sell your car on the internet. We tell you this every single week. It is literally as easy as it gets. If you click the link in the description, you get $350 off. The full sale fee will be waived. All you got to do, put in some personal information, put in your vehicle information, take 13 pictures that are pre-outlined for you of your vehicle, send it in to Carmigo, Uh, And then they really handle the rest. Honestly, from there, it's about as easy as it gets. Uh, 24 hours. Within 24 hours, you'll you'll get a a price on your car of what someone wants to pay for it. They'll come pick it up. They'll do the paperwork for you. It is literally extremely easy. Don't you think so, Gabe? Yeah, it's worry-free. It's hassle-free. Nationwide network of dealers, you hear us talk about it every single week. But make sure you go in the description. Click on that link. $350 full sale fee. Completely gone. And, And when you upload... Christian's done it before, 13 pictures, make, model, they'll hook you up. It's easy. It's very, very simple. So if you want to sell your car today, as we've said multiple times, click the link in the description, head over to Carmigo, and get it taken care of. As you can see, we are not in studio this week. I just got back from vacation. Kenny is currently at the beach. Gabe is heading out to Florida tomorrow, correct? Yes, sir. Be there at 5 p.m. Gabe is headed to Davie, Florida for a wedding, so we are all kind of in in travel plans right now. So we will be it's summer, bro. Oh, over Zoom this week or over uh, StreamYard this week. Not the, not the not the, I, not the, I have a big ass head. That's what this this whole thing is like exposing to me. My head is big as hell. It takes up the whole damn screen. It's not small, especially compared to mine. Mine is quite small. <laughs> Like it's crazy, like the up close shot too. I'm just substantially uglier. You know what I mean? Like I, just, I feel like I feel like the production value when Kenny's handling this whole thing and makes it way up, better. You know, it takes like at least ten pounds off me. It makes my head look a little smaller, right? Like yeah. Next week we'll be back in studio. This week we'll be handling it uh, remotely. So it is what it is. Everybody knows we're not fans of it, but sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Gabe, let's get right into it this week on Thursday afternoon. I believe Javon Quinterly finally committed. We talked about it last week on the show. Is it going to happen? What's going on behind closed doors? I know the panic meter might have not been at 10 yet for fans, but it was rising quickly, especially coming off the visit with no commitment. So people were a little bit worried on, you know, is he going to visit somewhere else? Is someone else offering more money? What's going on? Ultimately, Penny Hardaway and the staff get it done. They now have their point guard. What did you think about this addition from Penny and the staff? 
it, we talked about it even before it happened because we had a feeling it was going to happen. You didn't know who else was involved. There were rumors of Providence, but that didn't really come to fruition. Um, but we've really covered it. Like, you have a true point guard. One more year for this guy. Experience is all get out. He's going to get here, probably cash in on some NIL checks, make sure it, 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 every, all the ducks are in a row offensively. Um, he fits what they need, and that is very clearly a table setter and maybe a guy who could step out and score, shoot a three. Um, but I think Penny Hardaway, I mean, just looking at, at how this all has gone over his era, he has learned – especially last year, having that veteran table setter makes everything go so much smoother. Obviously, he's not Kendrick Davis on the offensive end, but you don't necessarily need Kendrick Davis. You have dudes on that, on the, in that starting lineup who can already go get a bucket. And David Jones, Caleb Mills, Jordan Brown, if DeAndre Williams ends up on campus. Um, so you don't really need that De or, or Kendrick, Kendrick Davis-level Davis. offensive production. But I think night to night he can provide a lot uh, on the offensive end, and he's just – he's steady, not going to turn the ball over, and he knows what's expected of him. Yeah, I really – I think he's the perfect addition for this team at point guard. I mean, you're, you're mentioning, like, what Penny was able to do with Kendrick Davis last year, and Memphis needed that. Like, they had to have a number one score. They had to have a top score to pair along with DeAndre Williams, and they don't need that this year. They need a guy to run the floor. They need a guy to orchestrate the offense, a guy that can – get out and run the offense in transition. And I think JQ checks all those boxes. And as you mentioned, he can step out. He's He can hit threes. Like, he's been a, a very solid three-point shooter throughout his career. And I, ju I just love what he brings overall. And that's not even including the veteran experience of being, you know, in college for this long. So, I think at point guard this year, Memphis doesn't need a guy that can go sc score 20 points a game. They need a guy that maybe pass first but can get a bucket when he needs to. And I think that's what JQ is. So I think he just perfectly fits the system, what Penny wants to do, and I think he perfectly fits his teammates. I mean, you, uh, imagine the backcourt of JQ and Caleb Mills. Like, that is yep. – that's a really, really good collegiate backcourt. And you have two players that, you know, have played different roles before, guys, you, you know, at different teams and at different levels. So I think they'll mesh together really well in the backcourt. I think they complement each other either uh, – or very well. I don't think either one of them – is a selfish player at all. It's not like Caleb Mills has ever been like a 10 to 15 shot per game player, and neither has Javon Quinterly. So I think they'll have no trouble working off of each other and then working it down low to guys like Jordan Brown and uh, if DeAndre is eligible. And then just the rest of this roster, we've talked about this point guard position so much, and now Memphis has JQ and Jalen Young. How do you feel about what Memphis has in the backcourt right now, or I, just the point guard rotation? I love it. I love it. I think it's fantastic. And not to mention, just look at the damn backcourt rotation. Jonathan Pierre can get in there. TFAL Leonard will be a reserve. I think there's some. I think that's interesting in itself. This is a dude who's in certain mock dra NBA mock drafts rounded, or mocked in round number two. You know what I mean? He probably thought he was going to come here and be a starter, no doubt, and that's up in question. Right this second. I, I, their, their rotation's great in itself. You can talk about the starting five all you want. You know, Javon Quinterly, Caleb Mills, David Jones, if DeAndre Williams gets another year, Jordan Brown. But what they're going to have coming off the bench, it feels like they're not going to skip a beat all that much. Maybe a little less offensively, but defensively they're going to keep up that intensity. I think they have enough options offensively with that, se that second group, if you will. So, I mean, there's going to be options all over the place. And, and one thing I do want to point out, just about, like, college basketball in general and what wins, it's a mix of experience and talent. 
And you have the experience, no doubt. I think if DeAndre comes back, I brought I, I dropped this to you in your spot on Tuesday with me on my show. That if DeAndre comes back, the average age would be twenty three point eight years old, which is older than the Oklahoma City Thunder. This team's gonna be old as hell, right? Yeah, uh, everybody's gonna make the AARP jokes. Um, but they would not be, even though these guys are fourth, fifth, sixth year, seventh year with DeAndre players in college. These are guys that were highly thought of. Like, think of Javon Quinterly, five-star out of high school. Jordan Brown, five-star, McDonald's All-American. Both those guys won six-man of the year at Power Five conferences. Like, you you can say, okay, well, it's just about getting uh, experience, but you you have a perfect mix of what you need to win in college basketball with the roster they're going into next year with. I'm okay with not having a heavy freshman team either. I know people love like seeing the five stars come in and stuff, and I get it. Like it's exciting, but it hasn't really translated to a team that's made a deep run yet. And I'm sure any Memphis fan you ask, okay, would you like to bring in the number one recruiting class and lose in the first or second round of the tournament, or would you like to bring in a bunch of transfers and, and go, you know, later into the tournament, maybe? Uh, maybe a Sweet 16, Elite Eight, and that's a no-brainer. It, it's a yeah, no-brainer, and that's You're right. And that's uh, that. That's what these type of players do. And, and so many years in Penny Hardaway's tenure, we've seen kind of an exponential growth or a slow growth throughout the year, where there's some growing pains in the beginning of the year, and maybe by the time they get to conference play or midway through conference play, we see the team kind of round out into what it can be. But when you have guys like JQ and Jordan Brown, David Jones, all these guys that have so much veteran experience, I don't think you have to wait on that climb as long. Now, with this being almost a completely new team outside of Jaden Hardaway, I do think there will be growing pains. I think it will take a minute. Like That's just kind of obvious when it's a completely new team of players. But I, I just think that learning curve is not as steep, and I think they – they more quickly get to be the team that they will be, you know, at the end of the year, February, March, and going into tournament time. I think they'll be that team earlier in the year. Yeah. And I think that I think that helps you down the line because it's not it's not like a new feeling or a new sense of like, okay, this is the way that it is now. No, it's like, no, this is the way that it's been since mid December. And you yeah. can kind of roll that wave into March. And the thing is, like, you gotta hope that it happens quick. <laughs> right? right out of conference yeah. schedule is brutal dog. like you're on the road at mizzou you have a and m you have the uh uh the the, the tournament the early season tournament there virginia uh, battle Clemson. for atlantis and like virginia vandy has been solid now like Jared stackhouse has them going a little bit like you have to be ready to go so yeah. when we're talking about questions for this team in particular that would be one how quick do they gel because they haven't played with each other and you don't have a lot of continuity i think the other really more concerning question at least in the immediate is eligibility right like jordan brown there's whispers about okay will he play till conference play because you have to translate some uh some some different credits from louisiana to memphis that may not be working uh deandre williams is he going to get an extra year i feel positive about it but it's not a guarantee so like you know of course you want to see how quick a a new team gels around each other but I think even more so than that, you just got to see who's going to be on the floor to start the year. Like that's yeah. that's that's my more that's my biggest concern about what has been put together. And you know, grand scheme of things, you put together what you can put together this late in the game. And you know, we have pat patted Penny Hardaway and this staff on the back every step of the way because 
it's unbelievable to see what they've been able to put together this late. So you put put it together regardless, and then you try to pick up the pieces afterwards and see right. who's going to be eligible, who isn't. Yeah. So I got a question for you about you know this team with and without DeAndre Williams. Where where are they? Like where do you think they are rankings wise with and without DeAndre Williams? Without, let's start with without, and I'm gonna we're gonna go back and forth on this. I would say you know I I would put them probably top 30, top 25, somewhere in there. I just I, – I don't see how, even without DeAndre, if say you have to put Nick Jordan in there, a team of Jordan Brown, Nick Jordan, David Jones, who's just unbelievably talented uh, coming over from St. John's, Caleb Mills, who's been around the block 15 times over, who's averaged 13 points a game at multiple spots at good programs, although Florida State, it didn't work out that way. And then Javon Quinterly, who was at the no- top overall seed last year, and was all SEC tourney, had 22 points in the in the uh, championship game of the SEC tournament last year. I mean, I, I'd say top top 30 at worst is sort of my thought process. I think I saw John Rothstein, who does his top 45 right this second. He said they'd be top. He said they'd be 30 without DeAndre. He he said they'd be borderline top 20 ish with DeAndre in the lineup. Yeah, I I think that's a little bit low as far as with DeAndre, but without I'm I'm kind of in lockstep with you. I would say they're a top twenty five team with uh, DeAndre, DeAndre. It's a different, it's a yeah, different it, deal altogether. It, with DeAndre, I really don't see how they're not a top ten team. We've been saying this literally I'm for for weeks now. For weeks now, if they were able to get Javon Quinterly and DeAndre Williams, that they were a top ten team. I mean, it's a it's a team with a probably a top five backcourt or front court in the country, and then maybe top fifteen, top twenty backcourt in the country. Like, how do you say that team is not a, not and potentially with, a top a, 10 program in hell with like great reserves, a great rotation. Right. Right. It's not like they don't, I, it's not like they lack depth. With it's not team. like they go, it's not like they're going to get outside of their top five. If Deandre comes back and they're going to have nobody, you know what I right. mean? Like I, it, it, I would say at floor, if they get Deandre back, I agree with top 10. Like I would, I would say that. Um, and it's a different type of top 10 than we've seen them sort of preseason top 10 with James Wiseman yeah. and some of the number one recruiting classes they've had out of high school. Um, but I'd say basement, basement. And it depends on how people vote because people can, you know, there's some type of Memphis bias still. We can admit that there's, there's a level of Memphis bias with media members and everything else, but basement is top 15. Like basement yeah. should be top 15 if we're being real with ourselves, but I, I would imagine there's some voters, media members, coaches, whatever it may be, that feel a type of way about Penny, feel a type of way about Memphis, and they want to see it before they believe it. And I, I feel like there there is a possibility, even if they do get DeAndre back, that they don't get ranked as high as a top 15 team. And that's that's which kind is, of frustrating, is, but I know what they kind are. kind of wild. Right. Yeah, it's kind of wild because with that team, like like we're saying, it's not just the – first five that you're rolling out like you're eight to ten deep of players that can be very productive at the collegiate level either have the potential to be or have been in the past so yeah I think top top 15 to me is the absolute floor also with DeAndre because of what he brings uh Gabe let's switch gears a little bit let's talk some Memphis football because we are getting closer to that time of the year thankfully thank the Lord cannot wait for football season Uh, I know we're both excited and ready how do you feel going into this year for, Memphis, for the Memphis football program? Um, seeing is believing, right? Like, I, I think when you look at the schedule, it, I mean, there's seven built-in wins, you would think. 
although they've lost a couple of games the past two years that they shouldn't have. I feel like eight eight wins should be sort of the basement of what they need to accomplish to get people back enthused about the program. Um, but I, I, I think for me, um, there's there's a level of positivity that I feel on the defensive side of the ball, right? I, I mean, like you're just you're so deep over there, and like you have across the D line improved and improved. Adarius Jones from A and M. Josh Ellison from Oklahoma. Derek Hunter was one of the top de- defensive tackle JUCO players. He's going to be on that that uh, that defensive line. You add it to guys who started last year and Jalen Allen and Cormonte Hamilton, who have a bunch of experience under their belt. Uh, Chandler Martin was great at East Tennessee State. Jeff Cantonarku, another guy with a bunch of experience on campus already. And then uh, you just sort of look at that secondary, and it's hard not to get somewhat excited about what they have, right? You have yeah. you have power five bounce backs with experience. Um, Simeon Blair started thirty some odd games at uh, Arkansas. Was the team captain at seventy two tackles last year. He may not be the best in pass coverage, but he's a great run support guy. Greg Rubin's still around. Joel Williams from Kentucky. I mean, you just go up and down the defensive side of the ball, and it's hard for me with what I've seen from Matt Barnes in just one year. Obviously, they peaked the back half of the season and looked great in the bowl game. It's hard for me not to be really excited about this being one of the best defenses we've seen in, in the past decade of Tiger football. Yeah, totally with you. You mentioned some of the guys, but I just – you know how our lads, they do like projected depth charts every year. So I just – I got that pulled up, and I want to run through this because talent and experience are, are exactly loaded, what this man. They deep. really are kind of loaded. Yeah. Uh, so starting at the defensive end position, you got Jalen Allen, redshirt senior. We know what he brings to the table. Uh, Derek Hunter, JUCO transfer that you mentioned, one of the top uh, defensive linemen in junior college level, redshirt junior. Josh Ellison uh, from Oklahoma, redshirt senior. Cormonte Hamilton at the other defensive end, very productive player last year, redshirt junior. Uh, they have Chandler Martin projected at one linebacker spot, which, as you said, was incredible at East Tennessee State last year. 90 be tackles, all-conference yeah. guy. Like, Be very excited to see what he brings to the table. The youngest starter as a redshirt sophomore. Uh, Jeff Canton-Arku at, at middle linebacker, productive player last year, redshirt senior. Uh, Marcus Tillman, uh, who came from Texas, and then Juco guy, uh, redshirt senior. Uh, Greg Rubin at one corner spot. True junior, Simeon Blair at one safety spot, redshirt senior, Joel Williams at the other safety spot, true junior, and then Malik Feaster at the other corner spot as a redshirt senior. I mean, I just look at and also Malik Feaster, that's a guy I, I want people to like actually pay attention to. What his his absolutely his, his ability and length and speed and strength is he is a great cover corner. And he yeah. has fit in at a lot of places. He didn't get a whole lot of run at Florida State for whatever reason, but he did get the scholarship and transferred there. But I have a buddy who is a Jacksonville State alum, played offensive line there, and he he couldn't stop saying good things about Malik Feaster and talking about how he should still be a power five starting cornerback. And, and I mean, <laughs> we go through all this, and another guy that, that may fly under the radar as a reserve piece along the defensive line as a pass rusher, how about Jalen Joyner? Yep, FAU transfer. Like, yep. like when you just talk about depth and experience pieces, it's just it's night and day from last year. And I think Absolutely. a lot of people ignored last year, Christian. The the lack of depth up front was bad, like really yeah. bad. And they're not going to run into that unless they have just 
two, three, a mass four amount of injuries. Yeah. And I just I, yeah, I feel it, like they're beefed up and they have a good secondary that, that that can sort of carry them. But that's different. You know, that's different than what we have come accustomed to when this program's running at peak efficiency, you know, like right. running at its peak. Yeah, and, and I've been beating the drum and singing the praises of Kyle Pope ever since he got on campus because I think he's an extremely yep. impressive coach. And this is the maybe not the most top-heavy unit that he's had as far as talent goes, but the deepest by far. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, when you look at the depth that he has up front, he can run eight guys deep. I think that's going to be extremely helpful for this defense. We know it all starts up front and helps out your corners, helps out your linebackers if your defensive line's good. So if you're running, you know, seven to ten deep in the defensive line with players that you feel confident in being on the field, then your defense as a whole is going to excel from that. But uh, another thing I really like about this defense, and, and I really think this is the recipe for success for any offensive or defensive unit in the country, is when you have a lot of veteran, experienced talent and then young guys behind them that are going to make them continue to work and not yep. allow them to to just kind of settle Get and be like, okay, this is – yeah, get complacent. This is my spot. You know, I've held it down for two or three years. But with the talented young guys and, you know, some of the transfers like Jalen Johnson from Ohio State uh, that had the Matt Barnes connection, like guys like this, I think they help push everyone to be better around them, whether they're on the field or not. Or, or not. Um, so I, I love the fact that they've got a lot of veteran experience, but they've also got a lot of young, unproven talent that's going to be hungry in fall camp to continue to prove themselves and, try to get snaps, whether that's on special teams or in rotation, uh, on defense. So I I really like where this defense sits. But I feel like where the conversation kind of begins and ends with this team and, and, you know, in the question of their success and how successful can they be, can they, you know, get back to an AAC championship or do they suffer from another mediocre season, it really lies on the offense uh, in a conference where scoring has always been – Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy because for so long there was never a question. And over the last several years – it suffered a little bit, and you know the lack of playmakers has been pretty obvious. The lack of a running game has been pretty obvious, and it, it has to be fixed going into this year for this team to be successful. What's what's the confidence level for you on this offense as a whole? Like confidence level for me, I've been I've been struggling with that, dude. Like I, I don't know about you, I, I'm struggling with confidence level because I don't know, I don't yeah. know what these guys are going to look like when they actually get their opportunities, and. I think more so than anything, there's one there's one piece of confidence I can go into the year and be like, okay, I, I feel great about that, and that's Seth Hennigan. I feel fine. feel yeah. great about him. He's a, he's a talented guy. He knows how to spread the ball around. But it, just like the past two years, or at least last year especially, like he needs help. And he hasn't had a good run game. They haven't been able to get that going. Now, did they try to do everything they could – on the open market in the transfer portal to try to get some old linemen, get some playmakers in the building. Sure as hell they did. But can those guys step up and be what they need to be? Xavier Hill, Marcus Henderson, they need to step up and potentially be those big bodies up front, at, at one one at a guard spot, one at a tackle spot. Looks like Chris Morris is in the transfer portal. So that, that ship has sailed. Um, who, who's going to step up in the backfield? I mean, I feel really confident about what Blake Watson can do. He's experienced has has it all uh has it all ahead of him he can catch the ball out of the backfield he could be a playmaker but is he going to have a line in front of him to go make something happen 
right. we know about uh, uh Jay Ducker, Sutton Smith. Sutton Smith. Like I, I think they have some pieces in the in, in the backfield, but they have to have somebody in front of them that's gonna pave the way. And I think also like when it comes down to Tim Cramsey, uh, the OC, he's gonna have they're they're going to have to get more inventive with the run game. When yeah. we were clicking at peak efficiency, when Daryl Henderson Jr. was running for 2,000 and Patrick Taylor was running for 1,000. The inventiveness and the execution from the guys up front was huge. And you don't see, you haven't seen that the past two years. It's inside zone left, inside zone right, outside zone right, outside zone left. And that's sort of the extent of it. You, you need to throw in different looks, you know, a counter here, a power there. You just need to start mixing in different things up front, different schemes, and see what happens there. Um, and then Wide receiver, uh, I like the talent they have. I don't think they're particularly deep. Um, but Toski Dove is going to have to step up. Mizzou transfer. Tamir Blankumsey is going to have to step up. Toledo transfer. And Rock Taylor is a guy I have heard from Cramsey, from Silverfield, from everybody in that, in that building. Um, he's now a junior. They say it's his time. He's got to show it's his time. But – this offense is just so unproven. It's hard for me to have any level of confidence in any one unit besides the quarterback position. Yeah. I would say my, my curiosity is way higher than my confidence. Not that I don't yes. like what some of these players bring, like the receiving core. I really like the receiving core. Like I really like Demir Blancomsey. I really like uh rock Taylor. And I really like Towski dove, like and Joseph Towsky Skates, dove. If he can get some consistency with his hands. Right. Who knows? Right. I like, I, I think they're going to be okay there. It's just about who wants it the most, like who wants to step up. Because Demir and Towski have both been productive at other programs, and it's like, you know, do you come here? And same thing we were talking about with complacency. Like, do you come here and is it same old, same old? Or do you come here and are you working towards going to the league and being an NFL player? Because we've seen it here. Like Calvin Austin, Tony Pollard. Like we've seen guys when they come here and they break out, they go to the NFL. Antonio Gibson, a guy that nobody knew – who he was coming out of community college came in obviously wanted it and became a relatively high, I think third round draft pick um, a couple of years ago. So, you know, if, if these guys feel like they can make it and they want to put the work in, like you have a platform at Memphis and, and kind of the guys before you have paved the way of Memphis puts running backs and receivers in the league. And, and for a minute it was at a pretty high clip. And so now it's just who steps up because you yeah. got guys that have been, somewhat productive but have never really broke out so can they break yep. out the season same thing in the backfield i think you have a lot of guys that could be the guy but does anybody step up or do any two guys step up depending on how how deep they want to go at running back and do they have that clearance up front from the yes, offensive line that, so that's just, the biggest thing i think they absolutely I think they've had the talent in the backfield for yeah the, the past couple of years they just haven't had the dudes up front to go make anything happen and right. that's frustrating. And I think it comes down to scheme too. You can't you can't just rid the coaches of all evil in this. Like they have to be able to scheme up and be a little more inventive. And and hopefully they can get that done. You have a first year coach in Jeff Myers. Ryan Silver Ryan himself has told me he's going to have more of a hold on on the offensive line room because that's getting back to his roots. Uh, you know, right. I like all of the things and the, the the things I've heard and the things I've seen from them so far this offseason but like again it's questions it's not answers still questions yeah. not answers and um i think in the wide receiver room i want very heavily to pe for people to pay attention to the mirror blank Cumsey. 
I just feel like that is that's the type of guy in the AAC out of the slot, maybe split him outside. I, I feel like his route running's really good. He's got some shakiness. He's got some breakaway speed. I feel like that's the guy ultimately that will step up. But any one of those guys can step up in that group. They just gotta they just gotta put their mind to it, make something happen in fall camp. Yep, we'll see how it goes. So we're gonna move on real quick and kind of hit this last topic here. Something that you and I talked about on your show on Tuesday. Uh, and I think it's probably, if not the one of the biggest uh, stories in sports right now, the NFL is having a little bit of issues with running backs and paying them. And we saw Christian McCaffrey, Jonathan Taylor, Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs, all these guys speak out about running back contracts and kind of the devalue, um, the devaluement of running backs, which we, you know, we've seen over years, but now we're seeing in contract terms, like even over the last several years when we've heard the running back position was devalued. Uh, Christian McCaffrey was still getting paid. Alvin Kamara was still getting paid. Zeke was getting paid. Like all these top level running backs were still getting paid at that point. And I think it was on Monday or Tuesday. Saquon Barkley, no long term deal, didn't sign his franchise tag. Josh Jacobs, no long term deal, didn't sign his franchise tag. Tony Pollard, no long term deal for the Cowboys, um, but did sign his franchise tag. So this, uh, this crazy phenomenon that's going on right now with the running backs, and you're seeing all of them speak we've out on it. We've seen it for a while. We've seen yeah, we've it, seen it but this is like this is like it coming to a head. Like it's yeah. never been this prevalent, and now we see all these guys speaking out on it, and it's it's pretty wild. I get, I get like the thought process behind not paying a running back crazy fifteen million, twenty million dollar money. Like I get that, but. If you've been sort of watching the trends, I don't know if there's any running backs asking for that type of $15 million, $20 million a year. I think it's more about guarantees and security, and it's strange to see almost every situation they're electing not to pay that person. And I don't think every situation is built the same. And I, I brought this stat up with you, like, Saquon Barkley got Daniel Jones paid. Got Daniel Jones paid. I have to find this really quick. Let me let me go ahead and get these pull up these stats for you. Um, I think I have them still in here. Daniel Jones' career with and without Saquon Barkley, with Saquon Barkley on the field, past TD to INT forty four to seventeen, without him sixteen to sixteen, with him on the field six point nine yards per attempt for his passes. Without him, 6.1. Passer rating, 91.4 with him, 77 without him. So Daniel Jones had a career year last year uh, because Saquon Barkley was leading in receptions, leading in receptions, and ran for 1,300 yards and accounted for a lot of their touchdowns. But Daniel Jones is the one who gets paid because he benefits from Saquon being on the the field so much, and Saquon doesn't even get – they're not even thinking about paying him. And then, like, Josh Jacobs, for God's sakes – he led the league in all-purpose yards and rushing yards. Yeah, He accounted for 34% of their total yardage last year for the Raiders, and he accounted for 30% of their touchdown production. Yeah. Like, I, there, there's sometimes you just have to, like, use your head, use your brain about how you were operating and realize who's valuable and who's not. And in those particular situations, the running back is valuable enough to go pay him and give him his his guaranteed money. Give him some assurances you're going to stand by him for a couple more years. I don't know why that's so hard. I, I do get, like, 
you know, the Chiefs, for example, don't have you know, Isaiah Pacheco and Jarek McKinnon and Clyde Edwards. They're not paying running backs. But you can't, like, copycat the Chiefs, right? Like, the Chiefs are the Chiefs. They have Patrick Mahomes, generational, if not the best quarterback of all time. You think he's the best quarterback of all time. He's not that far off for me. You have one of the best pass-catching tight ends of all time. You have the best play caller of all time. You have a top five, if not top three, offensive line. I mean, you can't just copycat them and say, oh, well, they're not paying running backs, so why would you pay running backs? That's not fair. They're championship level. 31 out of 32 teams in the NFL are not championship level and ready to win a champion. I mean, it's just it, – I get – I get why you don't want to throw all that money away on the running back position, but I don't think that's really the case here. I think it's more about them getting security and, and they're not getting that. It just, it, they're throwing them away. They're just throwing these great players out with nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I see it. I see it both ways. And we talked about this on Tuesday as well. So I'm going to kind of give the, the other, side of it and this is the tweet that really that really got everybody fired up it was matt miller's tweet uh who is a, a scout used to be with bleacher report and he's not anymore i think he does he's, he was on, he's on espn during draft season i love matt miller i think matt miller yeah. is the best draft draft guy absolutely i mean yeah, i'm not well, saying i'm not i'm not saying i agree with all of his takes and stuff but i think he is the most intelligent guy when it comes to drafts though. i i would Personally. disagree i think he made a database and got and, and and is a hard-working guy and he's not bad by any stretch of the imagination i just think that database nfl draft scout and how much work he's put in got him to the the places he's uh he's gone i don't think he's his i think his comparisons and everything aren't that good but that's beside the point you go ahead yeah so the tweet said been saying it for years draft a running back play the running back if he's good franchise tag the running back one time and then draft a running back he's not wrong i mean i don't think he's wrong I don't think like wrong. It, it, it works like it works you've seen teams if around the league do it if you get a dude that's just like otherworldly like christian mccaffrey though like what are you, you gonna right. let him walk i mean there a guy are, that, there are a guy that catches for a thousand and runs for a thousand you just right i know i think there are exceptions i absolutely think there are exceptions i think guys like mccaffrey and kamara and guys that offer eckler i, I don't understand the eckler not getting there's paid a lot of because, but there's less exceptions these days is the only thing i yeah. would i would push back against so no one's yeah. it's just running backs as a whole is sort of how they're being grouped right but then i mean then you have the situation like josh jacobs i get it yes he accounted for a ton of the production i think josh jacobs is a talented player and has been but I think there are many running backs that you plug in, and they they put up similar numbers. I mean, look at Dalvin Cook, four-time Pro Bowler. He just got cut because Alexander Madison, a guy behind him with no draft pedigree and really isn't getting paid I much, agree. is going to come in and put up very similar numbers in the same system with the same players. And that's the argument to it. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott was a guy forever that was one of the top running backs in the league, and then it was people saying, well, you can put anybody behind the off offensive line and they can run. Well, Tony Pollard was a pro bowler in 2022 after, you know, I, I think the most carries he had before this season was 106, and he had 193 this year, went over 1,000 yards. So I just think that it is a position that if you have an offensive line, if you have a good scheme, productivity is uh, is going to happen. Like, there's going to be productivity. Not there's always. levels. Name a situation where a team has a good offensive line and a good offense but doesn't have a productive running back is a difficult thing to do. 
But like, think about the Raiders, man. Again, back to Josh Jacobs. He caught for 400 yards too this year. So he, yeah. I mean, he, he he's did a, a good dual job. He's a dual threat guy. Yeah. He, he can make it happen. But like, their backup running back, you know who who it is? Do you know who their two backup running backs are? Zamir White and Amir Abdullah. Zamir White. There's yeah. no way those guys are stepping into doing anything close no, to no, that. No. I'm not saying I'm not saying those guys specifically. But, but you, you deal saying, with what's like, on your roster and what you can sign. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But, I mean, the running back position, is it's the easiest position to adjust to in the NFL. Like, look at rookies every single year and what they do. Kenneth Walker last year came in injured, basically didn't practice throughout training camp, and was the runner-up to the offense of the year for Garrett Wilson. Uh, Rashad Penny, a guy who was literally not productive at all, had a wonderful back half of the 2022, 2021 season with Seattle. So, like, there's just – there's such a precedent set that you don't have to have an elite running back to win. And I think that was uh, – one of the things that the running backs were coming out and saying, though, that I just don't agree with is that all the great teams, all the top teams check it and they've got a top running back. And it's just not true. I mean, you look look at the Chiefs and what they did. You listed the guys that they've had success with, uh, the Buccaneers with Tom Brady. Like, Leonard Fournette is fine. Is he an elite he caliber was a, running he back? He was like a fourth overall pick, though, back then. Yeah, the he was, I mean, he was, but he never was that guy. Like, he's never been, like, an all-pro type running back, especially with the Bucs. Like, he kind of kind of looks like he's lost a step and not as fast, but still very productive there. Uh, Tom Brady liked to dump him off the ball like 10 times a game. Rashad yeah. White extremely productive as a rookie uh, at Arizona State. So I think you look at the best teams, most of the times they don't have great running backs. They, they really don't because they cycle through them. I mean, the Eagles just had Miles Sanders, who had a career year, and they let him walk because he's not important to making that system go. But, but you know what's strange to me is, okay, they, they, they dump Miles Sanders, but then they immediately trade for DeAndre Swift because they know they need a guy in there to be able to take those body blows that's good enough. Like DeAndre Swift's a good running back. They, they still make sure they have on, to have that he's guy still on a rookie contract. He's no, I get it. Contract. I get it. I get yeah. it. It's just, I guess the point for me is like the amount of people that are actively siding with front offices here, like it's strange to me just because like you want at any job you hold, whether you're a freaking carpenter or a damn radio host or whatever the hell you are, producer, I don't care. You want security and you want there to be guarantees about where you're at in your life and your job. And 100%. I figured this would be more relatable for the running backs, especially considering like Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley are top five at their position. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that you feel like you should have a little bit of security with, with I, where you're yeah, at and, and your placement on a team and your placement in the NFL, but they don't have it. Yeah. I don't disagree with that at all. Like that's not where my point comes in. Like I, I absolutely agree. Like it's wild that top five running backs aren't getting paid because if you get a top five receiver, like oh, Jettas, Devontae, like these they're guys are 25, gonna, 30 mil a year. Yeah, a Tyreek Hill at 30 million. Like the bag that Jettas is going to get will reset the market when he gets paid. Like, so to see the drop off, it, it is it is crazy. And it sucks for running backs because you are the one that's taking the most amount of punishment and you're you're not getting the same and, benefits and security as these receivers are. But at the end of the day, like from a from the other perspective, from the GM perspective. Running backs are a dime a dozen. Like they come around all the time. Like, yeah, they're and everywhere. I think also, if you pay a guy and give him super assurance, like the six year deal for Zeke was the dumb. I mean, that was ridiculous. Stupid. Yeah, was six ridiculous. year ninety. Six million. years. I would never pay a, a running back. I don't. I don't care like how old he is. I'm never paying him six years worth of money. Just three never. years, two years. Let's move forward. Yeah. Here's ten million dollars, fifteen, uh, somewhere between ten and fifteen million dollars a year if he's a top five 
at his position. Let's roll. That's all they really want, though. And I, I mean, I guess ultimately I get it from the sense that, like, once you get to your mid-20s, the amount of punishment you take, you know someone's going to fall off, unless you're Adrian freaking Peterson or something like right. that. And you're going to come right. back from an ACL and have a career year and run for 2,000 yards. Like, But that does not happen all that often. No. Um, I, I just I, – I think ultimately we can't – my biggest takeaway is we can't keep – acting as if every situation's the same. And I feel like most people are trying. Yes. I feel like a lot of these front offices are acting like every situation's the same. Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs versus Two Tony totally, Pollard yeah. or Dalvin Cook, like that's not the same situation. I'd say Absolutely. Tony Pollard and Dalvin Cook would be more expendable, whereas Saquon yeah. Barkley and Josh Jacobs do everything for their team. You know, so it's yeah. like I, I don't think we should just group it all as, oh, well, running backs don't deserve money. Some running backs still freaking, they still deserve money. Other, yeah, I mean, the, ten, the, the ten, you look at the success the Tennessee Titans have had over the last several years, they don't come within a fraction of that without Derrick Henry. None. They absolutely don't. Like, we, no, one, no, one's ever, no one's ever staked Ryan Tannehill as an elite quarterback or a top 10 quarterback. He's solid. He's fine. But without Derrick Henry running for 1,700-plus yards a season, like, that offense doesn't work, and the Titans aren't nearly as productive as a team as they have been and competitive right. as a team as they have been over the last several years so absolutely i'm with you on that situations are different guys like guys like christian mccaffrey and saquon barkley and Derek henry and alvin Kamara, who we've kind of seen a little bit of a decline from him even on the field like those guys are different because the offense is built around them like you cannot question that the tennessee titans offense is built 100 yes. percent around Derek henry and you can't argue that the Giants' offense works without Saquon Barkley because it's not a very good offense anyway. But if they don't have Saquon Barkley, then they're a non-existent offense. Like, right. everything runs through him. So, I'm with you. The, the situations are different. And some some running backs are in situations where they should be paid more. And some are just like, okay, we can go get your replacement in the third round next year, and he'll be just as productive. And it's, that's just the, the, realist, the realistic part of the situation. What I, what I, one of my pet peeves through this whole process, well, one, I already mentioned it, people going straight to the Chiefs. Isaiah Pacheco. It's like, yeah, they have Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, right. the best play caller ever. My other one is everybody wants to point out the bad contracts. You know, everyone wants to point out, well, Le'Veon Bell went on a jet ski and, you know, uh, came in and got hurt and sucked with the Jets. One, I think Le'Veon Bell is different than a lot of these running backs where he wanted to party and he took a year off and maybe didn't take care of his body the best. And two, he was also with the damn Adam Gase jets. Like they, he was yeah. doomed from the beginning. They suck. Yeah. But no one wants to talk about Nick Chubb. That's a fine contract. Derrick yeah. Henry. That's a fine contract. Christian McCaffrey. That's a fine contract. Everybody wants to do like the whole, Oh, well look, Zeke had six years, 90 million. Le'Veon had four years, 52 million. Well, what about these guys who got paid on par with that that are still kicking around and still top five right. at their position? Like, Absolutely. Yeah, I, I examples it, for every situation. I just think it's been <laughs> – I think that I think running backs have been unfairly treated. I, I don't disagree. Absolutely don't disagree. But that's going to wrap us up for this week. Before we get out of here, click the link in the description. Carmigo will take care of you. Get that sale fee waived. And go ahead and get your sar your sar your car sold. Sometimes words are hard. Get yes. your car sold within the next 24 hours. If you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, comment, check out all of our other content at bluffcitymedia.co. 
and we will see you back here next week. Thank you for listening to On the Bluff. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating and a review wherever you download your podcasts. Also, like and subscribe to Bluff City Media's YouTube page. Head over to www.bluffcitymedia.co for comprehensive coverage of Memphis sports and how you can become an insider.